Asia Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock. On Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Link. Good morning, good morning out there. And uh, that's right, you're listening to Asia Pacific Currents. This is Pierre Morrow. And James Barry. And uh, we bring you today's program of APC. We're just uh, one minute late. I was just listening to that, uh, sitting back listening to that uh, nice song there. It was a bit of a relaxing song, uh, uh, Love I Call Your Name, by uh, a local artist, Kavisha Matsella. Although I think she's moved to Perth. But anyway, she used to be in, in, uh, in Melbourne, so always very... Um, uh, good uh, songs, but um, anyway, you're listening. Uh, sadly, you're listening to Asia Pacific Currents on your favourite community radio station, three uh, CR Radio, and of course, Australia Asia Worker Links is brought to you. Sorry, um, Asia Pacific Currents. My, that's a mistake I made last week. So that's right. My mouth moved faster than my brain, or the other way around. Yeah. Um, and of course, if you're going to contact uh, Australia Asia Worker Links, James... uh, if you want to get into touch with uh, AAWL, uh, you can write to us at aawl at aawl.org.au. Or you can find us on the web at www.aawl.org.au. And we're also on Facebook and Twitter, so look us up on those platforms as well. Fantastic, fantastic. And of course, on today's uh, program, we've got the usual roundup of uh, news items. And on the second half, uh, we'll have a live interview with um, a um, semi-regular uh, commentator, Nick McClellan. Uh, a lot of regular listeners would, would know him. He's, in a, he's an independent uh, journalist whose um, specialty is the Pacific uh, region. He was actually um, one of the founders of APC back uh, probably around 40 years ago. Wow. So that's, uh, that's right. That's a long way back. So he's, uh, he keeps the connection to Asia-Pacific currents. Anyway, He's really one of the experts here in Australia about Asia, uh, the Pacific region. And um, we'll be interviewing Nick about the recent um, trip to uh, French Polynesia by the French president, uh, Emmanuel Macron, and um, why he decided to come and what was the reasons. And uh, I'll just give you a hint. Uh, nuclear power, nuclear tests have got uh, something to do with it. So it's uh, an area that we don't often hear about or it's not often reported in our media. But they'll be around uh, quarter past nine o'clock, so we'll go straight to the news item, James, and I think you've got the first one. That's right. Uh, so this week, uh, for the news for this week, two workers killed in shipyards in Turkey. In mid-July, two workers, Yilmaz Demir and Oğuz Tashkin, were killed in, by an explosion and fire in the engine room of the of the cruise ship they were dismantling at the shipyards, the ship recycling yards at Ali Ağa in Turkey. Following on from the effects of the COVID pandemic on the cruise ship industry, the Aliar shipyards have been increasing, having have been incredibly busy, as they offer the cheapest rate in the region. While the exact cause of the fire is still unclear, this unfortunately is not an isolated incident. Since 1992, local labour organisations have reported at least 47 occupational deaths in Aliar, and many more injuries. In addition, while the exact numbers are difficult to catalogue, health authorities report that cancer rates and other occupational diseases are found at much higher rates among these workers than in the general population. 
That's right. Quite a uh, toxic environment uh, undoing those uh, huge ships if there's no um, good health and safety. We now go to the Philippines where, unfortunately, uh, we have to report on death squads again. Uh, In the morning of Thursday, the 22nd of July, radio commentator Renante Ray Cortes was shot dead outside his radio station, DYRB, in Cebu City in the central Philippines. Ray had just finished his regular radio show when a gunman drove past on a motorcycle and shot him dead. In his program, Ray often criticised members of the local elite as well as a local politician. He had actually survived a previous attempt on his life a few years um, previously. Both the National Union of Journalists in the Philippines and the International Federation of Journalists have condemned this latest killing of a journalist in the Philippines and see it as another attempt to silence independent media in that country. Unfortunately, during the reign of President Duterte, death squads have operated with impunity and have killed thousands of people. And now that the Philippines is back in the US orbit, I don't think we'll be seeing uh, much uh, pushback on that. No, no. Uh, moving to Palestine now, where Palestinians are continuing to be uh, continue to be killed. Last Friday week, demonstrations against illegal Israeli occupation led to the 17-year-old Muhammad Munir Atamani being shot dead during protests in the village of Nabi Saleh near Ramallah, while another 150 people were injured during protests in the village of Beita, another 30 kilometres further to the north of the occupied West Bank. A few days later on Tuesday in the Beta village again, Shadi Omar Lutfi Salim, a 41-year-old man, was shot dead by Israeli forces as he was returning home in the evening. Salim is the seventh person to be killed by the Israeli authorities since March during protests in Beta against illegal Israeli settlements. Following Salim's killing, Palestinians came out in the streets of Beta to protest, uh, to protest, but they were met with a strong response from the Israeli military, leading to over 100 Palestinians being injured. The following day on Wednesday, Muhammad al-Alami, a 12-year-old child, was killed just outside the town of Beit Umar uh, in the, to the northwest of Hebron. Uh, at Alami's funeral on, the thir- on Thursday, Shokat Awad, a 20-year-old Palestinian, was shot dead by Israeli forces. And it's just phenomenal that all of this is happening in the past week while the entire world's attention seems to be focused just on Ben and Jerry's in, in Israel. That's right. That's right. It's, it's just a catalogue of, uh, of killings and repression and, um, and just anger, really. And um, yes, yes, that's right. And everyone just talks about their ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> Um, anyway, maybe if people hadn't heard, the ice cream maker Ben and Jerry said they were not they were going to stop selling ice cream in occupied um, uh, in illegal Israeli settlements. Yeah, that's right. That's all yeah. they. That's they all said. they said, and that's the, taking up all the news. That's right. But all these people killed and injured. Well, we don't mention. Pay them. attention a little. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, our our solidarity and our condolences goes to family and friends of all those people injured and killed. Quite a brutal situation there. Uh, we now go to Sri Lanka, where we did report a couple of weeks ago about a teacher arrested. Well, there's been developments there that basically, following that brutal repression of the demonstration uh, of education workers against the proposed uh, Kotalawa National Defence University Act, which I refer to as KNDUA, 
earlier this month, um, teachers all across Sri Lanka have now have been taking action. Uh, right now, over 200,000 teachers are now on an ongoing strike across both the public and private sector. Um, that, uh, that repression of that demonstration has really sparked um, um, a, a real wave of anger. Now, because uh, their demands um, of the teachers now centre on pay increases, clearer pay structures and the withdrawal of the KNDU. Now, the KNDUA has uh, really become a focal point of opposition to the Sri Lankan government because not only uh, it furthers the privatisation of tertiary education, but it allows the defence forces to control tertiary institutions. In other words, uh, basically, it's another step towards the militarisation of society. So it'll be very interesting to see how that uh, pans out. Mm. Uh, Moving to Iraq now, where Iraqis continue to fight against death squads. Earlier this month, coordinated demonstrations took place in most of the big cities of central and southern Iraq, demanding an end to the climate of impunity for militias and death squads. Since the start of the mass anti-government protest in early 2019, over 70 activists have been killed in targeted killings. These deaths are on top of the hundreds who have been killed during the mass demonstrations. Unfortunately, this week there was another murder by, the, uh, by these death squads. Ali Karim, a 26-year-old from Basra, was found dead on the roadside with gunshots to the head and body. Karim was the son of an Iraqi female human rights activist, Fatima Al-Bahadli, who endured multiple death threats, has endured multiple death threats over her work. Less than two, week, two years ago, another one of her sons, Ahmad, was also killed by these death squads. Again, I mean, it's just incredible that uh, such news stories at the at the rate of, of killings, and um, you know how little things change, or how um, you know in the international media, it just you know you might not get, a priority, yeah, not a priority, and you might get an article every three months saying, "Oh, isn't this bad?" and then let's forget about it. And, yeah, um, yeah, um, and the courage of these of um, our comrades really of of coming out all the time, but considering the risks, yes. But then again, you know, we'd probably do the same. What what yeah. do you do? Do you stay at home and just... Go along know, with it and close your eyes? Yeah. Yeah, which obviously a lot of people do for many reasons, but a lot mm-hmm. of people are saying enough is enough. Um, we now go for our last item. We go to Malaysia, where amid sharp criticism, the Malaysian government is set to lift many of its COVID-19 restrictions. Even though the pandemic uh, is nowhere near being controlled, with infections currently running around 14,000 a day and over 200 deaths per day. As with other regional countries, the health system is now starting to struggle. In a sign of this increasing pressure this week, hundreds of junior doctors at state-run Malaysian hospitals stage walkouts demanding better conditions, equal pay, equal rights and equal opportunity and a, um, as a recognition for their role in combating COVID-19. I think a bit like here, junior doctors are, are really the, the, the workhorse of the health system in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. A lot of them on insecure contracts, mm-hmm. pay no overtime and work you know, day, long punishing days. Uh, in Malaysia, um, because of, of uh, the economic uh, pressure that these um, uh, uh, restrictions have done, it's now common for people to put white flags outside the windows of their houses as a sign of their desperation and that they are in need of basic supplies like food and clothes. And now there are charities that go around looking for these white flags. Uh, obviously, now opposition 
to the government is increasingly visible as anger is growing at the government's um, uh, inability not only to control the pandemic but also compensate its citizens from the economic and social effects of these extended lockdowns. Um, and um, James, we're really seeing that in a lot of countries, it's very easy to say. Um, I mean, he. I mean, even even here in Australia, where lockdowns have economic um, negative effects, but in certain countries, it really means people don't have enough to eat. That's right. That's right. So, uh, and, and we're seeing that increasing all through our region as well. That's right. And so it's you know it's not that easy to just say oh just lock down and when people restrict. they don't work they don't eat. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. It's um, you know there's there's a whole. Um, uh, world out there that we need to be aware of. Anyway, that's the end of uh, of our news roundup. It's just on 13 past 9 o'clock. We'll have a couple of uh, community announcements and then we'll be back with our interview with Nick McClellan. We've got a common enemy. The same government that locks up these refugees just behind us here at the Park Hotel is the same government that's going for our rights, trying to attack the very limited gains that casuals have. And so when union activists take up the cause of refugees amongst their fellow workers, it's not an act of charity. It's about building workers' united self-defence mechanism, understanding that we're all part of the same battle. Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. A message from Victoria's community sector. I'm looking forward to not worrying that my patients are going to die of COVID. To no one else being separated from their mum in aged care. I'm looking forward to our wedding and having our family and friends from overseas here with us. I really want to see my mum. I'm looking forward to being able to welcome guests without a mask on. To having all the sports back to normal so that my family members can come and watch me play. I look forward to performing in front of a big crowd again. So please, get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. Let's get back to the good things. I ask you to get vaccinated. For all of us. Please get vaccinated. You're listening to Asia-Pacific Currents on, on a 3CR supporter. Oh, sorry about that. The, that's uh, right. that No, that's, that calls a... Uh, uh, when you have a community announcement and uh, you sort of go, oh, well, it's finishing a bit early. And, and they have then, to do an acknowledgement. That's right. And <laughs> yes. it's just got the last few seconds there. But uh, I never played that one, so that we didn't know about that one. So anyway, sorry about that. Go for it. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents on 3CR Community Radio. And it's just on 16 past nine o'clock. And um, as um, we um, announced earlier in the in the program, we, um, we're very... Um, um, fortunate to have a um, Nick McClellan, an independent um, journalist um, of um, who's got a wealth of information on the Pacific region. He was also a uh, one of the founding members of the Asia Pacific Currents um, uh, radio team. Good morning, uh, Nick. Good morning, Pierre. How are you today? I'm very good. And, and yourself? 
I'm great. Yeah. Yep. Thank you. Now, um, we mentioned at the start of the of the program about the theme of of our uh, interview. Now, President Emmanuel Macron has just um, flown to French Polynesia. Now, some listeners might actually not know that there was even a French Polynesia that the French actually still have uh, territories and colonies. Um, so, do you want to give us a, a, a bit of a quick roundup on? how big uh, French Polynesia is to start off with? Yeah, French Polynesia is a, a, a big area because it's five archipelagos, five groups of islands spread across an area nearly as big as Australia. Um, but it's only got a population of about 280,000 people. As you say, it's one of three French uh, dependencies in the Pacific, as, alongside New Caledonia and Wallace and Futuna. Um, it's notorious for, obviously, France's nuclear testing program. Um, for 30 years after 1966, France conducted 193 nuclear tests at Motoroa and Fungatopa atolls. And um, many people are, are living with the legacies of that, particularly health legacies from that period of nuclear testing. Um, but the, the presence of... of France, as the colonial administrator in these three territories, is part of its contemporary Indo-Pacific strategy. Macron's last visit to the Pacific was um, uh, a few years ago when he came to Australia and New Caledonia. And in May 2018, he gave a speech where he announced what he called the India-Australia-France axis uh, in the Indo-Pacific. And that axis is obviously designed to contain China and rising... Chinese political influence in the region. Um, and that involves arms sales, you know, Rafale fighters to India, $90 billion worth of submarines to Australia. Um, and, uh, you know, the only reason, though, France is a, a, a presence in the Pacific, in the Indo-Pacific, as they call it, is because it's a colonial power in the Pacific. And the visit to French Polynesia was a way of asserting that uh, notion of France's presence as a, as a, a player in the region. That that that's right. It's uh, it's really a historical hangover. That as um, as you've explained, there's very good reasons why the French state wants to hold on to these territories. Now, and of course, in um, uh, President Mac Macron, when he went to French Polynesia and to Tahiti, it was supposedly to um, to acknowledge these nuclear tests, but. Um, quite firmly, like, basically said, we are not here to apologise. Now, so what did he come and, and do? What did he say? He did, he did um, announce a few uh, measures to improve uh, the Compensation Commission that France created in 2010, which is an administrative body designed to um, provide compensation for health effects. And... Um, Many of the people who worked at the test sites, both military personnel and civilians, there were thousands and thousands of Maui, of Polynesian workers who staffed the test sites over 30 years as labourers, as drivers, as divers and so on. And many of them have serious health problems, cases of cancer and leukaemia. You know, French Polynesia has the highest rate of thyroid cancer in the world per capita. And that comes from exposure from fallout from the atmospheric tests in the late 60s and early 70s. And so there's been a long campaign from uh, an association called Mururoa Itato, which uh, supports the workers who staff the test site, um, and they're claiming compensation. This Civen Compensation Commission, though, that was set up by France has really been a failure in its early years. 
In the first five years of operation, only 2% of applications for compensation were approved. 2%. So they knocked back most of the people, soldiers, civilians, uh, uh, local islanders, who were, were seeking compensation for serious health problems. And so Francois Hollande came five years ago to uh, Tahiti and promised that they'd improve the compensation scheme. Macron's now arrived and promised the same thing, new resources, setting up a... Um, some staff in Tahiti to help with preparing the dossiers and so on. But there's still a long way to go and an enormous amount of anger from nuclear survivors that uh, this is taking far too long to address. Um, and just another question relating to these groups, the Moruroa Etatu. Uh, they boycotted the meetings. They were planning to boycott the meetings with Macron. Isn't that correct? There was, there was a round table in Paris um, uh, at the beginning of the month. And you're quite right, that was boycotted by leading opposition politicians. Two former presidents of French Polynesia refused to go to Paris. Um, a number of church and community organisations, including Mururei Tato, said that why not hold the meeting in Papeete? You're coming. But France really wanted to try and take the issue off the table before Macron came. You know, he wanted positive images. And that's really shown by the fact that although there were quite large, warm, welcoming crowds for him, cultural performances and so on, the the media optics were improved by banning anti-nuclear protests. The night before he arrived, the French High Commission in Tahiti announced that a planned peaceful rally at the airport by anti-nuclear groups, by the opposition independence parties and so on, would be banned. Um, so it's a good way to improve your media optics by simply banning anti-nuclear protesters. So there's a lot of anger amongst nuclear survivors, amongst church leaders, amongst certainly the opposition parties like Tabini Huiratira, um, the independence party in French Polynesia, that um, you know their voice was being silenced, even though Macron was promising dialogue, transparency, openness and so on. So where is um, the um, French support in in French Polynesia? Because uh, obviously this uh, this saga, this issue has been going for so many decades and there's a lot of uh, um, groundswell and a lot of community support for more compensation. There must be a lot of anger. So who's sort of backing the, the, the French government and the French state in French Polynesia? The- the governing party, Tapura Huyatira, which is led by President Edouard Fritsch, is very much a pro-French party. Um, you know, the, France is the major economic uh, donor to French Polynesia and uh, indeed uh, announced new grants and finances during Macron's visit. Um, their economy has been devastated by COVID um, with the uh, loss of tourism, which is a major part of the economy, and also exports to China, given the increasing U.S.-China uh, tensions where France is lining up with the Americans against China at the moment, even though China's the main export uh, for products from French Polynesia. Um, and so uh, there is a base of support for France. So still, the, you know, the government of French Polynesia is there. But even Edouard Fritsch, um, who has uh, been very much a loyalist to the French Republic for many years, um, felt it necessary to criticise the lack of action on nuclear testing. He's been under pressure from ordinary people. And it's not just uh, anti-independence people who are concerned that France has really dropped the ball on responding to the clear needs. So Macron's made promises, but he's he's off to elections himself next April. Um, part of this trip, indeed, was to showcase him as the, the national leader, um, the, the leader of the far-flung French empire across the world, and so a lot of the optics were playing back to France 
rather than addressing the concerns of French Polynesians. Um, and just with the, the promises that he's making, uh, some, one of the criticisms of Macron is that his words were pretty much empty. He didn't say sorry, of course, but he, he he's instead framed it as a debt that France owed French Polynesia. Uh, but in, a, in addition to that, he also seemed to say that it was actually justified in a way. He said that there was what Charles de Gaulle did in French Polynesia um, was necessary. Uh, I mean, how does that play out in French Polynesia? Very badly. <laughs> and this is the line that's said uh, in French Polynesia. It's said in the Marshall Islands. Indeed, it's said in Australia with the British nuclear tests at Maralinga um, that uh, nuclear weapons have protected us from our official enemies, Soviet Union in the 20th century, China today. Um, you have made a sacrifice on behalf of empire. But the people who live with the legacies, environmental, health, social, economic usually indigenous peoples whose land, the deserts and oceans, were used for the nuclear testing, have to bear the costs of empire. And there's ongoing struggles for compensation, for recognition, for environmental cleanup right across the Pacific, including in Australia. Um, and people in the Pacific have signed the new Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. Uh, sorry, people have been calling for the signing of the Treaty of the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. Ten countries across the Pacific, New Zealand, five, uh, nine island nations have signed and ratified this treaty because it includes provisions for assistance to nuclear survivors. So this issue, even though COVID and climate are the, are the top agenda items across the Pacific islands, the nuclear issue is still bubbling away and people are really angry about it. Um, to yeah, yeah, no, no, that's that's um, very good to remind us that history doesn't uh, actually go away. And I think what you've just said about the, you know, the winners and and, and uh, losers of uh, of the empire, I think it's um, it's a very um, a good uh, reminder again uh, of of who wins and who loses. But as a final question, um, and just to stick to um, French Polynesia, um, you've you've said that uh, it's obviously a French protectorate. I mean. Is there an independence movement in, in all that archipelago? There is. There's a, an independence movement called Tavini Huiratira no Te Maui, which is uh, the people's movement, uh, essentially the people's rally. Um, it's been uh, campaigning since the late 1970s and has grown in strength. Indeed, Oscar Tamaru, the, the leading figure in the Tavini uh, movement, was elected president in um, 2004, um, the first time a pro-independence president of French Polynesia, but uh, through various manoeuvres and so on, he was, um, in the space of 10 years, there were 11 changes of government. So the French and the local uh, loyalists used no confidence motions and so on to bring down the government. He was in and out of government three times in the space of 10 years. Um, that movement continues and Tamaru is a leading voice around all the challenges, as I say, environment, climate, even COVID. You know, one of the tragedies of this visit uh, has seen with the adoring crowds uh, welcoming French president has been a surge of new COVID-19 cases. In the last 24 hours, uh, 239 cases of Delta spreading in the community, another death. Um, mm. French Polynesia has one of the highest per capita rates of COVID in the Pacific because France opened up the borders last July and a flood of returning citizens and US tourists uh, brought a, a massive surge, nearly 20,000 cases in a country of 280,000. Wow, I'm certainly we're aware of that. Um, and and yesterday, yesterday there was the first recorded case on Manihi, an isolated coral atoll in the Tuamotu archipelago, and that island was visited 
last week by Macron and his entourage. And it's a really isolated place in, in a very isolated nation. Mm. Um, and now COVID's been brought to them courtesy of the French president. I think that's a good uh, spot to leave it there. And again, a reminder of the winners and losers. And um, certainly, uh, Nick, we'll have you back over the next um, few months to talk about the um, independence referendum coming up in uh, New Caledonia or Kanaki in the, in December. But um, So thank you very much for that um, a very interesting uh, uh, expose and review of what's happening with the uh, French Polynesia and the French government's uh, role in it. So thank you very much. Thank you. There's a lot happening and happy to come back and chat another time. All right, no worries. All right, till next time. Thanks a lot, Nick. See ya. Get your copy of 3CR's magnificent book. It's a stunning history of the people, programs and issues at the station since 1976. On sale now for the amazing price of just $20. Pick one up at the station or jump online and place your order. Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR. On sale now for $20. Always turn off your mics. But anyway, I'm just showing James all the mistakes that you can you can do on live radio. But anyway, that was uh, you heard an interview with Nick McClellan, an independent uh, journalist um, on uh, on and an expert in the Pacific region on the recent uh, visit by uh, French President Emmanuel Macron to the French uh, Polynesia. And that's really all that we've got time for. Um, you've been listening to Asia Pacific Currents, brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links on 3CR Radio every week. We'll be at next week but that's all from me Pierre Morrow and me James Barry. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne Australia. For more information go to allthews.3cr.org.au.